0: Uh, when they're nineteen and eighteen, Ophel Mae Johnson, nineteen, eighteen, like seventeen, almost eighteen years later, I still remember how I was taught as a recruit.
1: As a disclaimer, everything that my guests and I say are individual opinions and do not represent the opinions of the Marine Corps and the Department of Defense. Now, let's jump into the episode. hello everyone welcome back to the show today we are going to have a conversation with kevin thompson kevin welcome how are you doing how's it going
0: i'm doing great uh thank you thank you so much for having me
1: (laughs) kevin is not my typical guest obviously um my focus is female marines but um he has a really interesting perspective and i really respect him um, as a marine so this should be fun i'm excited Um, Kevin and I bet back in, I think it was the summer of 2016 at recruiting school, right? That's when you went to school. So I did not become a recruiter. I got dropped on district assignment day. Um, However, Kevin went on to be a recruiter, and then we kind of reconnected back in, let's see, 2021 or
0: two? Yeah, 21.
1: Okay. Yeah. So um, I was serving as an equal opportunity advisor, and then Kevin was new to the program, so we kind of... Just started talking about work and communicating. So yeah, we're going to jump right in. So Kevin, please introduce yourself. Tell us who you are, what you do for work, and your family situation.
0: Okay, um, I'm Kevin Thompson. But before I introduce myself, can I just say that, one, I just want to say thank you for having me on here. I I did some, like, called myself, like, doing some research for you guys. Oh I was like, let me go look at episodes and, like, how am I going to prepare for this thing and you had like some like dope people that came on it, like uh Alejandra Walker it was super tight. I want to say thank you for having me. I guess my introduction, I, I'm Kevin Thompson. Uh I guess that's my government name. I am in the or a master sergeant in the basement board. I always joke around and said somebody must have pressed the wrong button for letting me get the car because uh I never would have thought this would happen. But um I guess, I mean, that's my professional side of things. Um, who I am, uh, I, I met my wife, you know, of course we've been together for forever, but like there's some like beauty that like the people who don't even know they're as beautiful as they, they are, it's just like, that's her. Like she's just been, and she's, she's everything to me really, to be honest with you. Um, we've been together since 2005, since high school and um, fortunately enough, we've had three great children, very smart, very beautiful children. Our oldest is fourteen. Her name is Kaya. Um, she's like the she's like the introvert of the family. Um, very artistic, um, beautiful girl, and just you know, she's fourteen, so she's doing the whole teenager thing now. Kind of pushing away, not necessarily rebelling, but you know, she's being she's being her, and you know, love her just as much as her brother and her sister. Our middle child uh, Corey she's 10 um, she just made the cheerleading squad this year uh, she's a she's a personality I'll put it like that she has a very strong personality
1: middle <laughs> um, child syndrome right
0: in <laughs> yeah, exactly. middle child syndrome like she's giving it to us rough like you, you think you have one child and you can expect the same child to come out the next time it definitely well, doesn't work <laughs> so. Right. And then, uh, last but not least, we we uh, we obviously forgot how it felt to have sleepless nights. So we chose to have <laughs> uh, we had our we had a boy. Um, his name is we call him KJ, but his name is Kevin Jamal. He's three, so um, you know we're past the baby stages. But it's interesting having a son and daughters. Like you definitely see that no, not one is better or worse but they're different and they're just, it's fulfilling on both sides. I I love being a dad. So that's really who I am. I mean, um, you know, I, I can say that, uh, there is a professional side of me, but in defining myself, I would say that my family and my, I would say that's what more like brands me than anybody, than anything.
1: So, you know, what's really great is, um, even going back to recruiting school, I can always remember you talking about your family. And that's something that was like, holy cow, right? Because sometimes I think, at least from my experience in the Marine Corps, right? You don't really get that. It's You don't really get where people, you know who's who and who's married and who has kids, but you don't get the like in-depth, um, oh, this is what my daughter does. This is what my son does. So I um, I really appreciate you for, for that perspective. Um, So you did say you were from Atlanta. So let's talk about like your childhood. How were you raised? Like, how was your upbringing?
0: Atlanta is where I call home. Uh, My dad was a United States Marine. He actually retired as a master sergeant. It's kind of ironic uh, because when I was master sergeant, uh, he was there and he he still told me, hey, I still uh, rank you. So, you know, I guess that's the thing. (laughs) (laughs) Not Uh, anymore. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Exactly. Um, But, you know, it is... Atlanta home but mm-hmm. like the early part of my years um I you know my dad was still in the marine corps he he got out in 2000 so I was going in middle school and that's when we moved back to Atlanta so before then we had a couple of duty stations he did uh we were you know Okinawa he did uh I and in, I in New York and then we went to his last station was Miramar the land of milk and honey right mm-hmm. and um uh, Then he retired from there. We went back to Atlanta. And I just remember that being like, that's where my formative years as far as like my identity, like where it really came from. Atlanta, um, you know, during that time, it was like music was the biggest thing down here. We were like the mega of like snap music and rap and all this kind of stuff. There was a lot of culture going on in, in Atlanta. And it's interesting because like I grew up like in the, I guess we lived in the suburbs, but like I was like immersed in like the culture of like the city. Like I went to school in Decatur, Georgia. Um, went, graduated from Columbia High School, and like man, I would really say that you know we we didn't have much diversity in that school. It was like an all black school. But being a military kid, being a minority everywhere that we went, you know, whenever we moved, um, it was interesting being part of the majority for the first time. And, like, I really kind of found myself. Like, I was like, dang, like, the culture here is, like, a little different. You know, my little slang or, like, how cool I am. You know, the, the definition of cool, you know, of course it is surface level because we're kids. Like, what you wear, right. you know, how you operate and stuff like that. But, like, Atlanta is a lot of who, who I am. Um, even though I wasn't born there, I still give it a lot of credit to who I am through Atlanta
1: that's crazy that you say that. So I think you know this, I, I grew up in, well, I am immig- when we immigrated to America, like we Atlanta was home. So yeah. the way you describe it, and the way I like think about it is Atlanta. Now, I can appreciate like the culture and, you know, just the lifestyle. But back then, it was just very overwhelming. It was <laughs> super, was too- super, like, just overwhelming and just being sens- like super sensitized all the time. So now I can appreciate like everything that you say, I could like appreciate that now that I'm older. Um, yes. but back then it was like crazy. Okay. So, um, you said your dad was a Marine. So is that what kind of led you to the Marine Corps or how, well, I guess, yeah, let's talk about your journey towards being a Marine.
0: That's a good question. I mean, I would say yes and no. Right. So like okay. directly I would say no. Um, so coming up in Atlanta, um, being going to school like in a high school east side of Atlanta, college college wasn't really pushed in my school. I mean, it was for lack of a better term, a hood school or a ratchet school. You know, um, I feel like they had picked from ninth grade the people that they considered college prep, so they input into those kids and everybody else. If you were outside of that, you like you're not you're not going to college. Um, and I so when it came to senior year, I was like, I had no clue what I wanted to do. Like most, like most Marines, you know, like, (laughs)
1: like most people in general.
0: (laughs) Right. Exactly. So I was like, oh man, I don't really know what I'm going to do. There was one thing I knew I didn't want to do. I said, you know, I'm not trying to be some broke baby daddy up in, up in, you know, Atlanta. We got enough of those, like there's broke baby daddies all around this thing. I'm not trying to add to that. And, you know, Uh, I was feeling myself a a lot back then. I was like, oh, you know, I'm extremely flirtatious. I'm going to be trying to be out here in these streets and stuff like that. The last thing I want to the last thing I want to do is not have a way or means to take care of a family when I get one. Uh, So I was like, well, I guess, you know, I'll join the military. um, And then, you know, like, I think I'm going to do the Marines. This wasn't a conversation I had with my father, but I think like indirectly, I. I chose the Marine Corps because there was some representation there before me. Right. Like um, and my dad wasn't my dad is a retired master sergeant, but I can truly say like he never I never saw my dad as Master Sergeant Thompson. I saw him as dad. He never brought that stuff home. People would joke me like, oh, I know you're doing pushups at the house. Like my dad was was not a Marine at the house. Um, So it was was like I, I would say that he never pushed me towards it but due to his representation of like doing what he did i think that's the reason why i chose it so i'm always like grateful because even when i went to go to, to sign up and go to boot camp i was like dad do you got any do you have any um <laughs> like suggestions for me like i don't really know that I, I just decided help but, me um,
1: out right
0: i'm like the uniforms are cool and they said it was it was going to be kind of hard i could kind of dig that what you got for me and my dad didn't give me any recommendations he's like son You know, I know you joined the Marine Corps, but like, I don't want to set your expectation too high to where things can get broken and you're looking for what I went through. I went, I joined in 1980. It's going to be a different Marine Corps now. So like, I want you to have your experience. So I can truly say like, my dad didn't push me towards it, Mm -hmm. but I do see the little glimmer in his eye, like when he comes to my promotions and stuff like that, like. I think he thinks I, I, I did okay, seeing as though I made it to where he made it to, so, uh, right. yeah.
1: No, that's that's pretty cool. That's, that's pretty cool. Okay. So, um, as we move on, I just want to be, like, remind you again, right? So my audience, again, primarily yeah. female Marines, I typically interview female Marines. So as we move forward, like, just kind of think about how your experience in the Marine Corps, like, kind of relates to, you know, your perspectives and your opinions based on female Marines, okay? So um, let's talk about your, I guess, your boot camp experience. How how was that like?
0: If you would have asked me coming, you know, uh, out of boot camp, how it was, I would say, oh, it was it was phenomenal. I mean, I was made into a United States Marine. I was a civilian. And I was- we made it. Yes. <laughs> the transformation. I think after time goes by, you look at, I think, uh, I just hit 17 years not too long ago in the Marine Corps. And, like, I I feel like I've gotten to the stage where I've, like, become very reflective of my time, maybe because, like, you know, being an equal opportunity advisor now. I mean, I'm just, like, reflecting back on a lot of older times and um, just, like, reanalyzing some of the things that I've done, some of the things that I've seen, some of the things that I felt like were normalized. Mm -hmm. And seeing as though, like, you know, this is an audience that is full of women... I mean, currently we're what six point five percent of women in the, in the United States Marine Corps right now. It seems like it is dropping rather than getting bigger. Um, I've always asked myself, like, oh, okay, why is that, and like, how does it how does it tie into my service? And I remember, um, you know, in boot camp, of course, it was challenging. My drill instructors, I thought, were the best drill instructors. We were on our platoon, you know. We 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 had we just made some really good Marines, in, in my opinion. And, um, but I think back to the, of course I was there when it wasn't integrated. Um, and there's a story that I always like to tell when I talk about like, is, is the Marine Corps sexist? You know, I've had people challenge me and say like, oh Kev, it's not like we teach sexism in boot camp. It's not like we, we do these things and we tell recruits and, and officers like to be sexist. That's what they bring with them. And uh, I always think back to a story of like, I remember I was a second recruit, training battalion uh, recruit. And, oh man. gosh, we oh, care yeah, about pork we...
1: Italian, but okay, very well. <laughs> we'll let you have your shine.
0: Right, right. We were, we were bleeding gold, I guess over there. Okay, <laughs> but, uh, whatever. Platoon twenty sixty eight, and um, it was I. Uh, I went in the summer. We actually showed up to boot camp on six six six. So like June sixth of two thousand six, and so that's yeah. the like the class of six six six. I was like, oh man, this is this may not end well for me. <laughs> uh, so. Uh, it was, you know, it was a hot day. We we're trying to make our way over to the chow hall. We got there a little late, but we're still doing the form for chow type thing. And, um, you know, our drill instructor, actually my favorite drill instructor is like, you know, form for chow. We're doing the, uh, step together, face together, whole, you know, thing before we go into the the, the chow hall. And, uh, because we got there late, there were platoons in front of us. So our fa- my favorite drill instructor is like, hey, we're about to kick knowledge. And for all the Marines out there, you know, what kick knowledge means that means we're about to go over some of the tests. Uh, information that we got to test out, um, you know, later on through during the cycle. You know, I'm a, I'm a curse for effect here. I'm a, I was trying not to curse, but like our drill instructor, what he said when he started kicking knowledge, the first thing he asked us was, hey, uh, when are women the best time to fuck? And we're like, wow, uh, did we hear that? You know, like, because that's not on guidebook uh, page 17. You know, like I didn't read that before I showed up here. My recruiter definitely didn't tell me anything like that. So we, we were all quiet. He hits us with the ears open, sir, right? Eyeballs click, you know, we look at him. He said, I said, when are women the best time to fuck? And we're like, oh, we don't know what he's talking about. And he leans in close to us and he says, I'll never forget. He says, "Women are the best time to fuck uh, when they're 19 and 18? mae Johnson, 1918. So that's how we were met. That's how we were. Oh, that is-
1: that's terrible. <laughs>
0: That's when, that's when we were taught, like, that was the first female Marine that came into our Corps. Like, 17, almost 18 years later, I still remember how I was taught as a recruit. Yeah. You know, when Ultimate Johnson came into the Marine Corps. I would love to tell you that was, like, a joke, or, like, I I yeah. thought, top of my head, and, like, I'm just putting things together. That is, I remember that hot day on Paris Island, where that went down. And i I it's hard for me, right? Because, like, Back then, I, I didn't realize it as wrong. It was normalized. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. And I'm not saying everybody taught their recruits like that. Or, you know, uh, I don't want to make it seem like I'm coming at heroes or villains or anything like that. But, like, you know, I, I try to take a step back and look at the system. And, and was that allowed? Because maybe we, we weren't integrated back then. Maybe it makes me think, I wonder if we were integrated back then. would would my favorite instructor have said that next to a 4th Battalion hat? If he was actually integrated within the process, and I, I think that he that he definitely wouldn't have. Maybe that's why we start implementing those changes. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, boot camp. That that's the main thing that sticks out to me about boot camp, especially doing the e- equal opportunity advisor gig right now in the Marine Corps, and really trying to dissect how we switch a culture and make it more productive, and we value all of our members rather than just the majority. So.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's pretty. um, I appreciate that perspective because I think, um, at least for me and a lot of women that I know, like there's there's certain things and there's there's certain things that are told to us at boot camp by our drill instructors that you just kind of believe, and maybe you know unconsciously you don't really understand how that relates later on in your career. But like for us, you know, you're one of three things, and Mm -hmm. you're trying to prove that you know you're not this or you're not that. so I appreciate that. Thank you for <laughs> for that story.
0: You know, there's probably some female Marines out there that are like who feel the the hints of it, but they'll never they're never privy to the conversation behind the closed doors of where us men are talking, right? Like right. we'll call it talk, but it happens in other places rather than just the locker room. It happens when you walk out, it happens before you walk in, where all these sentiments like the things that we fail to like dive into and understand why we believe that way, we're talking about those things. And really to, to tell you the truth it's on our organization uh, to start producing better characters. You know, I I usually, when I talk to my Marines, uh, I tell them about this model that I learned about along the way, as far as like become behave, believe of like who you become is like who we sit here as today. Like you're looking at Kevin Thompson right now. They're listening to Kevin Thompson right now. That's that's who, I, who I've become. The way you can identify who Kevin Thompson has become is all you have to do is look at my behavior. My behavior will tell you exactly who I've become. And the Marine Corps is very good at like addressing behavior. My, like, hey, Kev, you go out there and you get a, a, a DUI. Well, we're gonna NJP you. We're gonna address your behavior. But, you know, if I'm being if I'm being sexist, if I'm if I'm doing things in the workplace, creating a hostile of work environment, those are my behaviors. But like the Marine Corps is going to address my behaviors. One thing I think we can start doing better in our organization is start to take it one step further and take the time to start addressing people's belief systems, because belief systems actually drives behavior, which drives who you become. If we just like take a little extra time just to start digging into people's belief systems are saying, yeah, you did that. But I'm going to ask the question of like, why did you Why did you think that comment was okay? Why did you say that around me? Uh, why do you think walking in here or not putting her on the board or doing X, Y, and Z, why are all these things okay to you? Because if we start asking those questions, we'll start finding out people's belief systems and we can start curving that rather than just addressing their behaviors because that's not really doing much. We're still here talking about some of the same stuff. They were probably talking about when women integrated into our organization.
1: No, that's 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 a really great point, and I think sometimes too we forget that yes, it's a institute or it's, it may be an institutional issue, but it's we come from our our society, American society, right? So it's not and not to downplay anything, right? But like we we're all people, we're all socialized differently, we all have different backgrounds, and then we come on the same playing field and are like kind of expected to operate in a certain manner. So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, Let's talk about your, I guess, your like MOS experiences. Cause I know you're, obviously you're an equal opportunity advisor now, but can you talk about like how you started and how you kind of got here?
0: I guess, just being a little transparent as well, coming from the east side of Atlanta too, I come from the black culture and or African American culture. And like one of the biggest things that people used to tell me when I told them I was joining the Marine Corps was like, oh, you know, the classic stereotypical like you're not going to fight the white man's war or like you know you're going to fight the white man's war or so there was this like idea of course we were in iraq back then Mm -hmm. um and kind of leading into afghanistan so like i knew i didn't want to do infantry because i was like well i wonder if that's fighting the white man's war (laughs) so i was like "Ah, oh my god i'd be up for supply (laughs) right
1: what a nerd okay
0: (laughs) right that's it that, that, that'll, um, that'll get me in a warehouse and, you know, I won't be fighting. But interestingly enough, I joined, I, I uh, go to MOS school. I go to my first duty station, Cherry Point, North Carolina. I was with uh, sec, uh, second MWHS, or yeah, MWHS two. That's what it was. And I'm working in the supply warehouse. And I was there maybe only like two months. And uh, my gunny comes out and he's like, hey, uh, I asked Corporal Thompson. Um. So my truck, it was four of us in there. I was on the gun. You know, we had our driver, our A driver, and then we had our, our guy in the back. We hit an We ran over an IED. Um, and like the pressure plates came up out of the ground. It didn't explode. And like so, the another truck calls over to us. They're like, "Hey, what are y'all on right now?" Our our driver backs up over it again. Uh-huh. It doesn't explode, right? That's oh, wow. so, that's an ID. We back up off of it. Uh, we set a cordon around it. We call EOD to come out. They dig up. They dig up over a hundred pounds of homemade explosives. Like,
1: Ooh, wow.
0: we shouldn't be here. And so, like every November fourth, like we call each other. You know, like we say, we remind each other, like, hey, you know, we're here for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, that deployment just in itself, like. Was a, was a reflection of like, man, we're like, we're still here, but, you know, I get back off that deployment. I, I PCS a couple of times. I you know, I've been all up and down the East Coast. I went to Lejeune. Uh, then I went to Norfolk uh, with Marine Corps Security Forces. And then I go over to Okinawa, where you're at right now. Mm-hmm. I, was over, I was over on Kinzer as a supply guy, and I wasn't really having a good time. I was like, you know, I feel like I can give more to this Marine Corps. Like, uh, you can only count screws so many times. Like, yeah. and I encourage like warehouse clerk that that's listening to this, like lat move. Um, if you feel like you're, you're done counting. Um, and I say that because I, I was sitting there in a, a police call line as a sergeant and like just had this epiphany. I was like, this can't be it. Like I want to force my career to a different direction. So I went and retook the ASVAB. Um, I did I actually try it on this one <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Well, and what I ended up doing, I, I lateral moved to being a MACAF planning specialist. Um, and I uh, mean, that lateral move went great. I went to school back in Norfolk and then I, I, I got orders to 3rd Mardiv out on Camp Courtney. Um, and like my staff and CO out there, man, he was he was great. He let me be a sergeant. You know what I'm saying? I, I guess there's definition behind that, but he let me he let me grow, um, gave me the space to make mistakes gave me the space to learn my, my craft, even though I'm a lap mover and man, Stap, his name was Stasart Menjin. And well, hopefully maybe he hears this one day, but like uh, he was just one of those great leaders by just allowing me to do me. So um, then I, I left there. I ended up uh, taking some orders to 29 Palms, California. I know all mm-hmm. of our listeners are probably like, why would you do that? <laughs> 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 Nobody wants to go to 29 Palms. Um, right. But it's- it's so weird because like we left, we left Okinawa. I was so ready to get back to the states that I didn't appreciate Okinawa when I had it. I was like, "Oh, I want to leave the island." I go over to Twenty Nine Palms. I was like, "I want to go back to the island." <laughs> like, uh, so uh, we got the Twenty Nine Palms. I did a deployment with them um, with the Special Purpose MACTAF and then when I, I got back, uh, to tell you the truth, my my leadership on that deployment wasn't wasn't great um, and so I was like, I'm not satisfied again let me, mm-hmm. let, me this. let me um let me request another change I'm not gonna lap move again, but I'm gonna request to go on duty again probably not a great idea and I, I guess <laughs> I'll put that up later but not a great idea just because of if you know anything about recruiting duty uh, it's pretty tough out there. So, so how uh,
1: about your um, how about your MOS right as a lot mover? Because I guess explain how long were you a MacTap planner before you decided to go recruiting? Um, I
0: was a MacTap planner for four years before I okay. went recruiting. Um, because sure MacTap,
1: I- yeah, like MacTap planners are not and not to like take away from anyone's MOS, but like y'all are a small MOS. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if it's hard to retain MACTAF planners, but I would assume that there wasn't enthusiasm with endorsing your recruiting package in the MOS.
0: Yeah, they my monitor definitely didn't want to let me go. I was a young staff and CEO. Um, I will say that coming from the supply side of the house, though a lot of people see us on the bottom side, the work ethic of a supply Marine is more celebrated in other MOS's. So like the things that I thought were standard, I'm in a new MOS and I'm like finding out I'm extremely competitive, Mm -hmm. right? Like I'm in this niche Mm -hmm. MOS, like, Oh wow. I mean, I thought I was doing bare minimum, but I'm like beating out all my other peers. So when I actually go on recruiting duty, I don't think that they were excited to, to see me go. Um, but I did make sure that I was doing everything that I needed to do. I, I was, you know, um, my PFTs were where they needed to be at. My evaluations were good. Um, and then, like, I did, I did a deployment. I did the MAGTAF. I saw the MAGTAF planning thing go all the way through. I deployed the MAGTAF and, and brought it back. And, you know, that's, like, the, the tip top of what we do as MAGTAF planners. So mm-hmm. they not really tell me um, of why they wouldn't let me go.
1: Okay. Okay. So you went to recruiting duty. And um, were you – did you extend? I don't know why I think you were on recruiting for a long time. Uh, like- <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I did not like I said I did not make it I didn't you know I got dropped for assignment reasons but Jack I tell people like Jack was a recruiter and he did it for the both of us
0: yeah Zarina I mean of course we ran into each other in recruiter school mm-hmm. uh, I just want to tell you like the fact that you didn't have to go through that I would consider your yeah, I would consider it a- <laughs> and I know it sounds uh, it sounds like I'm being facetious but. Yeah, I I would say that's a blessing. Not so, and I, I do want to just throw this out there, you know. I don't want to make it seem like I'm bashing the Marine Corps or anything mm-hmm. like that. Obviously, I'm a master. So I've, I've been here for going on 18 years. Like, I love this thing. I love this organization. love what it did for me. I don't have any hate in my heart towards the United States Marine Corps. And I, I probably just don't even need to say that. Just based off my representation of how long I've stayed, it should show that I, I love it. Right. But, like again, going back to the reflectiveness of, like, being where I'm at, uh, recruiting duty was probably the most detrimental thing that could have happened to me as a person, uh, and I know that sounds extreme. Um, just looking looking back at my time uh, as a recruiter, yes, I learned a lot. I will tell you, like, I, it wasn't like I was a bad recruiter, right? Like, uh, mm-hmm. I was in Georgia. Um, mm-hmm. and if it was in R.S. Atlanta at that time, you know, I will tell you that and I'm not trying to beat on my chest here, but, like, we did very well. Um, and I say we because it was the men that I served with. And, um, you know, the team that we had there, that was – we we were really good. I mean, the best station in Georgia, um, hands down. Not not even close, like, for years on end. I did very well at the job, but to be honest with you, it came at a price.
1: So, real quick, let's let's talk about that a little bit. So, you said – was it the job was it the pressure like was it time away from family like can you pinpoint what exactly about recruiting kind of kind of has you have this perspective about it right and real quick too i want to say i understand what you mean um and i think sometimes people confuse having an opinion of something yeah. as that's the only opinion right because we do this marine corps thing we obviously love it because we're here yeah we you know we love it. We want to influence Marines. We want to help. We want to change, but we're still entitled to have an opinion because we're human beings and not everything is great. So just wanted to throw that out there.
0: Yeah. 100%. percent i mean, when it comes to recruiting duty and I, I apologize in advance if I sound all triggered or whatever people were going to say, I, I sound like, but like, though I did very good at the job, I think what it was for me was that um, one was, was the hours. Right. So like, yeah, um, I came into a a failing station in 2016 and initially what I was met with was hard work. And Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about like hard work, like fleet life, like hard work and dedication to get you through. (laughs) I'm talking about that. I'm talking about mornings that can start at like zero with going to pick up a 17 year old kid and taking them down to MEPS. And then like ending that day uh, at midnight, you know, uh, depending and actually past, even past midnight depending on if I had any appointments for the next day. And there's no one hour and a half chow. There's no, oh uh, let me uh step out of the office like you're working all day. Um so I, I think that um was hard initially, right? Uh and that didn't last the entire time, but that that wasn't just like Monday through Friday. That was seven days a week. Um right, because right. we have to make we have to make mission. Um, and then from there I would say that you know being Yeah, some people are like, I'll go recruiting duty because I don't have to go on deployment. But I remember there would be, like, weeks on end where I would go. Like, I lived in the same house as my family, but I never saw them. Like, I would be out the house before they wake up, and I would be back at the house after they went to sleep. We were putting in a lot of hours to make our bottom line. And um, really, the last part was, I think, was self-inflicted though I think it was a reflection of the system when it came to recruiting duty was in the Marine Corps, we, we rank up pretty quick. I mean, like if you're, you're a hard worker, you rank up pretty quick, but nobody ever stops and just takes the time to explain to you, like the power that you're actually getting, you know, like Mm -hmm. I was a young, you know, stats aren't gunny out there. And like, I'm going to let you know now I'm like a flawed man. Like to be honest with you, like, there were some things when it came to recruiting duty, I wish I could take back, you know, like I made a lot of mistakes out there and it's not nothing like, I feel like I got to really say this.
1: (laughs) Nothing illegal, Kevin.
0: Nothing illegal as far as like dipping in the pool or anything like that. We're not talking about anything like that. Or like
1: falsifying paperwork. paperwork. Like we're not. Yeah.
0: I'm not, I'm not talking about criminal type things, but like, you know, uh, for lack of a better term, I felt like the man on recruiting duty and like, uh, I've been popular pretty much, you know, most of my life, especially spending in Atlanta and high school and stuff like that. So like popularity was never a big thing for me, but like when you start getting all this power when everybody from uh, so many square miles of who can come in the Marine Corps, the way that people talk to you, you're walking out and, you know, people see you as liberty in some cases. Um, like it started getting to the point where I knew it was time for me to leave recruiting duty because I felt invincible. I was like, Oh, I can get anybody in the Marine Corps. Oh, just come talk to me. And like some of the risks that I, I was, I was, you know, t- uh, thinking about taking, let me know that, man, this is not a healthy space for me. And nobody's willing to stop me neither. Like, and like I said, that's not a healthy environment for if we're trying to, to produce good characters. It's like the mission came first so much that we didn't, we, we forgot, we forgot that we're, we're still trying to cultivate good citizens. You know, yeah.
1: so we so. kind of got to your head a lot I, based off of what you said. Right.
0: Yeah, um,
1: and there was there wasn't really anyone to kind of pull you back because you were performing and yeah. you were making mission. OK, huh? that's okay. interesting. And, you know, what's crazy. I had always wanted to be a recruiter. Um, yeah, that's that. Yeah. Those, like, I don't
0: want to make it seem like everybody's bad out there or anything mm-hmm. like that. I think Marines are out there. You know, I, I got done with recruiting duty. I left scot free. I was like, man, I remember the exact feeling that I had when I drove away from my recruiting station for the last time. Like, I had tears in my eyes. Like, mm-hmm. if if any other recruiter is listening to this, I, <laughs> I know they they know that feeling, right? Um, yeah. So, I I will tell you that in driving away for the last time, you sometimes think like, oh, it's gonna be better. Maybe I just had a bad shake at this thing. Maybe, you know, maybe it's not going to be that bad.
1: You bring a lot of good points, right? And, you know, like like I said, I didn't recruit, but my husband did. And um, I, I can't speak for him, but I can only speak on, like, what my experience was as his spouse on recruiting duty. Right. Similar thing, I never saw him some days. It was early nights. It was late nights. But on the flip side, I have met people who, go back and volunteer, our 8412s are absolutely killing it. And I know depending on where you're at in the country, all of that, like, so hold on, recruiting duty. Where did you go after recruiting? Back to MacTap planning, right?
0: Yeah, I I went uh, to MARSOC and then after I I went back to MacTap planning and really that's when I I realized like, you know, I could talk all this bad stuff about recruiting duty, Mm
1: -hmm. but Mm
0: -hmm. I came off that duty operating at a very, very efficient pace. Probably the most efficient I ever like. If I'm used to working all day, like making sure that my time management is is where it needs to be, I always used to wonder when I was a marine. Like, uh, was I when I was a marine prior to me doing my SDA? Like, I always used to be like, man, these recruiters low key seem lazy out here. Like, <laughs> they super chill, like real chill. You and then just I, bashing
1: on recruiters right now.
0: Right. I see the drill instructors. They're all like, you know, knife hand, knife hand, Uras, uh, seventeen seventy five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, all right, you know, but after recruiting duty, it was like, oh, I get it. It's because Mm -hmm. you'll never be stressed out like you were while you were writing a mission letter ever Mm -hmm. again, probably in your life. So Mm -hmm. like regular, regular, and I don't want to call regular Marine Corps, like I'm degrading the Marine Corps, but like fleet Marine life is Mm -hmm. easy to a recruiter because I would find myself coming into work as a MACTAF planner and literally between eight and 10 o'clock, I would be done with all my work for the day. Like, I'm just sitting there and then I'll throw in there like, well, okay, Kev, you gotta be, you know, on top of your game and you have all this extra time. Let's start college. I'm doing college classes. I'm still done before chow. I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, like, what do I do with my time? I'll go work out twice a day. Like, it's just that there was nothing that could have got me bent out of shape. And I really, to tell you the truth, don't feel like I've actually worked a day in the Marine Corps after a, i got off recruiting duty it just feels like you know uh, you know like i'll go put in this yeah. and it, it is what it is
1: but just going through that experience of a recruiter like you became efficient back when you went Fair. back to the fleet marine force like okay i've done hard things let's just yeah. plan and work it out and okay okay
0: 100 percent. and that actually led me to the equal opportunity program because i'm sitting there in my office and i'm like well the marine corps just armed me to communicate. Like I, I was a great, you know, I was a good recruiter.
1: Mm-hmm. I was a recruiter.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sitting. What do they
1: call it? What is like MC? What What do they call it? The recru- if, MC3 MC3. Oh,
0: okay. So, okay. You know, I know how to communicate with the best mm-hmm. of At least this is what I'm telling myself in my mind. Cocky. We covered actually, that. Okay. This may not actually be true. You might ask some recruiter. <laughs> in Atlanta. They're probably like Kev is trash. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but so I was like, yo, um, You know, I can communicate. And like you said, we have a very small MOS. So like I'm in a section where it's me, a civilian and one sergeant. I'm like, if you just arm me to communicate, uh, I really don't have the opportunity to do that here at a big, you know, in a big space. So I was like, well, what can I do again? Like how I felt when I uh, moved from supply to MATAP planning, I said, I feel like I could do more. And so I saw, you know, a couple of my mentors hit me up previously and said, hey, Kev, you should check out being an equal opportunity advisor. And I was like, I don't know what that is. And I don't, you know, I don't want to be teaching people about slavery, even though that's not anything what EOA is. But that's where my mind went. I'm like, I'm a okay. black guy. I'm a black guy from Atlanta. Like, no, that's, you know. So I did. I was very uneducated about it. But mm-hmm. after some time where I was unhappy at MARSOC, you know, doing my, my uh, MOS, I was like, maybe I should look into it. Probably the best thing I could have ever done, because talk about finding your passion. As a recruiters, sometimes we talk about, like, we say that, that those three years on that duty expire your shelf life quicker than, than we like to say for our Marine Corps experience. But being an EOA kind of gave me some passion back. I was like, oh, it's not about race relations, you know, all the time. No, this is about making our Marine Corps better. I've done the recruiting thing, but this actually kind of encompasses the retaining Marines as well, because like I'm trying to teach Marines how to value each other and and tell them like, yeah, I know um, Full Metal Jacket was a great movie, very funny movie, but we can't treat Marines like that. We, you know, uh, that could be the greatest and worst thing that happened to our organization because we really have people out here trying to walk around treating corporals and sergeants and staff sergeants like they're recruits and they're walking out the door because they don't want to stick around for stuff like that. So being an EO was like, man, I'm back in front of Marines. I get to talk about relevant conversations. That that school we go to in uh, DIOMI, the Defense Equal Opportunity Management Institute, when I tell you that school changed my life, like, mm-hmm. especially on things that I didn't even expect, Zarina, I'm telling yeah. you.
1: Oh, I'm I know. <laughs> through, I feel you. I yeah, get it.
0: I'm going through the coursework. And I'm like, oh, sexism, that's going to be an easy class. Uh, <laughs> Psych. Yeah, let's get let's get started. Up. I have daughters. I have a wife. There's no way Kev is a sexist. And then like sitting through that class and being like, oh, I do that. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. We mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Like uh, the story I told you about boot camp. Wow, that happened. And nobody even batted an eye about it. Yeah. Actually, I'm really deep into this thing. And I'm just finding out, like, being able to acknowledge, like, whoo, that probably wasn't a good thing. Like, yeah. EOA, that that class opened my eyes to a lot of things of, of organizational behavior that we can improve on. And, and I feel like I love this space. Of course, there is a complaint side of it that is very, you know, compliance-based and is needed f- to take care of our Marines. But, like, I'm enthralled with getting in front of Marines and being able to happen to those belief systems that change that behavior and who people become
1: absolutely and i think the same for me i think being an eoa has just changed like oh me as a person overall right because yeah we talk about awareness and we understand the word and we think we're aware but going through that school like they really put you on the spot and you have to dig deep and you really have to there's some things that you think you are and you're like, hold on, wait a minute. Yeah. Let me, let me work on this for me. And, and I think getting that stuff, I went to EOA school as a gunny. Mm-hmm. At, I was in the Marine Corps, what, like twelve twelve 12 years at the time. And going through at that point and learning what I learned, I was like, oh my gosh, Marines need this sooner, earlier in their careers, because I've had this mindset and I'm not saying it was all bad, but like, there were certain biases that I had sometimes that I was displaying that were maybe not appropriate or certain thoughts that I had that were not appropriate. And I learned this as a gunnery sergeant. So absolutely. Um, EOA school did change.
0: You know um, what Drita, you bring up a good, uh, a good point, because like, for the people that are here is talking about this, this class that changed our lives. Like if you feel like you're the person that definitely doesn't need to be there, those are the people who probably need to be there. Like mm-hmm. it's crazy because like, uh, I think we've we've kind of villainized where it's like oh woke like it's that sounds like some woke crap and I don't mm-hmm. understand how like woke became started to become like an indictment like mm-hmm. it's like I'm thinking to myself well okay if I don't want to be woke what's the opposite of woke like should I be sleep should I be dead <laughs> like <clears throat> and it's and it's like um, okay I don't those things, oh my gosh. but why does like woke have to be an indictment, especially for an organization who prides themselves on attention to detail, like yeah. so the wait to have attention to detail. If we know down to an eighth of an inch, like where our ribbons are supposed to be, you mean to tell me, I can't raise my hand and say like, we should probably stop sexually harassing each other. It's just, it's crazy to me. Cause I always challenge Marines. I'm always like telling them like, Hey, you know, you may, I always get them all like, you know, pumped up. I'm like, yeah, we're Marines. We're going to fight the war. Like, who's coming with me? And they're like, hell yeah, top. Yeah, Master Ironman, I'll be there right with you. I'm like, it's crazy. The same Marines who would run towards gunfire are courageous enough to run towards gunfire. They'll run away from a conversation. Like, how courageous is that? You know what Absolutely. I'm saying?
1: Absolutely. Yes. I,
0: at this whole, like, oh, we don't want to have political conversation. We don't have we want to have religious conversations. Like, those are the things we should be leaning into because a lot of the times, I just came back from the EA sem- uh, seminar for, you know, our PME as master sergeants. And there were so many conversations we weren't having. We talked a lot about hands in pockets and fitness reports. It was pretty pretty interesting, right? Uh, actually, mm-hmm. it's not and we all know not to do those things. Or, like, put your hands in your pockets and we know how to do fitness reports for master sergeants, for first sergeants. But, like, one thing that I was sitting there thinking, I was like, yo, we could be doing so much more. Like, we train to... We train with rifles, we train for MOS, we train uh, in the pool. We train in all these different lights as United States Marines. But when do we train people's characters? Like, we expect, I don't show up to work on a daily basis with a rifle, but I train to it. But you sh- I, I'm expected to show up every day with a good character, but yet we're not training that. And I think that's, as an EOA, has been my goal and my duty to like really try to start turning it to where if we could take nasty civilians and transform them into United States Marines, we should be able to take United States Marines and transform them into good people. That's that's what I believe.
1: Yeah, and that's I think that's one of the things that I'm like grateful for the program is it's it's kind of equipped me to have hard conversations. And it's not necessarily that I'm I don't know, people are like, oh my gosh, how dare you? Right? Kind of like the woke and sleep kind of yeah. analogy, but it's like especially coming back to, you know. The FMF and having Marines again. And it's like, okay, let's talk about why you think it's appropriate to say X, Y, Z. And just having that conversation in an open forum with other Marines, like that is an essential teaching moment. And, um, you know, they challenge each other now and it's not like, okay, well, this is how I was raised. It's like, okay, why why yeah. did you, like, no, we don't do that here.
0: Yeah, you know, Zarina, one of the biggest uh, uh, oppositions that I get is this. And it's so basic. But it's so marine, like and, mm-hmm. and I think that are listening are gonna be like, oh, I've heard this before. But like a lot of times when I'm teaching a class or whatever, I get that one NCO, staff NCO officer, it doesn't matter who it is, that says, Well, hey, top, I think we just need to keep this in the box and like just the Marine Corps is all about war fighting. Like it's it's war fighting, like all this stuff is good and stuff, but like what does this have to do with war fighting?
1: Mm-hmm. And I
0: think that there's a misconception, a common misconception across our Corps right now, to where we've made combat synonymous with war fighting. Like, those two things aren't the same. Combat is part of war fighting, but warfighting doesn't always end up with being combat, right? Mm-hmm. So like, right. for my warfighting enthusiasts, and if we are warfighters as United States Marines, we should be very intimately uh, familiar with MCDP-1, which is our warfighting doctrine. Like, that, it, it is MCDP-1, warfighting. That's our doctrine on warfighting. And in there, it doesn't just talk about combat. It talks about cohesiveness. It talks about the human dimension, these things that help us grow together, especially in, in downtimes like what we have right now, to grow closer together and become a better force in understanding each other, so that we can actually overcome the enemy in the next fight mm-hmm. that we get. So, like what we do as EOA's is warfighting. Though people try to you know discount it and say, oh yeah, all just just walk through, blah 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 blah. Like ultimately, it does help our bottom line when it comes to warfighting diversity is a great part of warfighting like if we have all 225 pound males on a on a team man maybe none of us can fit through that little hole that we need to fit through in order to get to the enemy um Mm -hmm. if we're all a homogenous organization then we're all thinking the same we're all doing the same things which doesn't give us many uh lights of like bringing anything different to the table so
1: I just kind of want to know what your perspective is overall on um, if it has changed, right? Like your spec- you, you talked about how your perception of women were kind of formed at boot camp. So yeah. I kind of want to know, like, where do you stand today on women in the Marine Corps and just your experiences? I know we went to the um, the 4th Battalion Deactivation and from our conversations then you were just like, oh my God, you guys are great. <laughs> And then, you know, like Jules, I think you've been to two joint women leadership symposiums. So kind of being the minority by gender, right? Like you're one of 10 men with like 1,500 women. So yeah, if you could talk a little bit about that.
0: I, I will say that I feel, I feel like a little jaded against my younger self. Like I look back at Sardin Thompson and, and the years before that, and I, I can't say that I was the best version of myself. When it came to my sisters in this organization, I, I will say, it, speaking for self here, like mm-hmm. I was the guy saying like, well, I wish, you know, if I ran a 21 minute PFT, you know, I wish I could get a 300 and not being able to identify like, well, we have two different types of bodies because I guarantee you if they put squats on the PFT, my little chicken legs won't be able to to lift anything. Right. But a woman who holds their their strength in their hips, their legs, mm-hmm. they could definitely outlift me in that. But, you know, how great is it to be uh, the majority of this organization uh, being a male like that? All of the PFT factors are reflective of my strengths. And I I, I was just very uneducated. Right. So um, I will say going to the Joint Women's Leadership Symposium was an eye opener. Like what suggested and yes, it's Joint Women's Leadership Symposium, but I would actually say that. I would actually argue that I had the biggest learning curve in the room because I was a male. And I, a lot of my brothers missed out. And they should go in the future of going to these events. Because I would tell you, if you think you know the woman's struggle in the United States Marine Corps specifically, you have no clue. To all my brothers out there who's listening, you have no clue at all. I was at a four-day symposium, and I learned how uncomfortable it could be to be the minority in the room. And yes, I'm a black guy, but I'm talking about the extreme minority to where I reflect maybe less than 6% of the population in the room. We're at a symposium, 1,500 women, and I'm one of maybe 10 males. When they started off and they were like, hey, uh, ladies wanna give you the lay of the land. I was like, man, they didn't even acknowledge me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Gentlemen in meetings, right? right?
0: Every time they said, ladies, I was in in my mind, I was like, gentlemen, gentlemen, too. you got gentlemen out here. But I was like, (laughs) I, I wanted to take a second and be like, I'm here because maybe I'm getting a perspective that's not of my own. Like, is this what happens every formation? Is this what happens every time we address Marines all together? You know, like we can do better than that. And then they said, Hey, this is the lay of the land, all the restrooms in this, in this convention center, are yours except the one on the second deck in the way back that that'll be males if you are here that that'll be the one you go to and i was like wow i mean this is the first time the bathrooms ain't mine Shoot, we go to the field Shoot, i use the field as my bathroom what are you talking about i only get one bathroom again made me think back to how many of our sisters don't get the the fair shake on that one and then hopefully I, i don't get too graphic with this one But, like, being in a a big room like that, in big spaces, my mind was working on overload as far as, like, how do I look appropriate, especially if I don't have any sexual, like, interpretations with people. Like, I'm not looking for anything in here, but, like, I'm catching a glance here. And I'm not, this is not to make, oh, okay, you know, you're making this about yourself. No, like, if I want to engage in a conversation because I feel like somebody can give something to me, I'm sitting here worried, like, what is that going to look like? And then if I open up that conversation, what are they going to think? And what are they going to think? And, you know, because obviously in the military, people think boy plus girl means that something's happening. I was like, these thoughts were filling my mind. It was overwhelming. And it was only four days, Zarina. And I was like, this is when I realized I was like, yo, my sisters who do 20 years, like we need to find an extra medal for them because they're not going through the same thing I'm going through if you can make it through 20 years of this organization, Zarina, this is why I love you so much. And, and, and I, you've always come off so authentic. And like being a, a female Marine, being able to acknowledge like, yo, yeah, we're all Marines, but we're not all green. You're a female Marine. You're you're a woman. And you've always had your femininity. Like you, you've been a great wife, been a great mom. Like, and you've always held, you're one of the most productive, efficient Marines that I've ever seen in anything that you do. And I'm like, yo, and we give you a fair shake. And I always tell the males, I'm like, yo, if we're always looking for the best man for the job, will we ever consider the woman? And we, we, a lot of the times we don't. And I think that's one of the things by having conversations like this, this platform of what you, you put together here, like this encourages those conversations because if we can acknowledge the things that these these things are happening and we're okay with them. We made them normal. We should start normalizing the opposition of saying it out loud. And if you're embarrassed about it, maybe we need to clean up a little bit of those actions. So but thank <laughs> you. Thank you
1: for saying that. Um so is there is there anything that we didn't talk about that you want to talk about? Actually fourth yeah. battalion. Can we talk about yeah. the fourth battalion? Hello. Because I feel like you were also like holy yeah. shit this is Man.
0: happening. So fourth battalion Another eye opener. I showed up because I was like, okay, another thing that I could say that I'm not too familiar with. I wasn't a fourth recruit, uh, fourth training battalion recruit, but I showed up there. Man, I left Paris Island. Every time I go to Paris Island, it's like a spiritual thing for me, right? Like, mm-hmm. proud. I'm like, heck yeah, this is where I was born. <laughs> like, this is right. it. Island. I know they have another place on the on the other coast. They call it something. I don't even want to talk about it. Oh that. my gosh.
1: Again with the cockiness.
0: Anyway. <laughs> I'm throwing a little shade to my Hollywood Marines, but I love y'all too. Um, but like, so so I that was the one time I left Paris Island, probably the saddest that I've I've been leaving that island. To be honest with you, I wasn't that proud when I left Paris Island on that day when Fourth Crew Training Battalion got decommissioned. We want to integrate. We're the last ones to do it, but we're gonna integrate on how our training goes but at whose expense? Those women at 4th Recruit Training Battalion, I, I was, I, w- I walked away from that island wishing that I was I could bleed Burgundy. That's what I thought <laughs> Burgundy. I was like, I was like, yo, these women are so proud. And an organization, understanding the history of our organization, knowing that y'all always couldn't be here. Like we told y'all no. And then when we did say, yeah, come on into our organization, we said, do it over there. You're not going to train with us, right? Like, do that, John, over there. And really to tell you the truth, y'all did it better than us. Yes, I said it. Yeah, y'all did it better than us. Because, <laughs> one, I will say, like, yes, y'all were making nasty civilians into United States Marines. But also, you were preparing those women to deal with us for 20 years, which is a fr- uphill battle, right? So, like, you know, what they were preparing us for was a lot harder than what the baseline we were going through. So to see that dismantled. I know there was reasons behind it, but I think we should have kept the 4th Recruit Training Battalion.
1: I'm going to ask you about, I guess, just sisterhood that you experienced, right, at Jules and at 4th Battalion. Because part of the reason why I started this is because I, I always, I am like a girl's girl. Like, anyone that knows me knows, like, I am just, anytime I see a female Marine or, you know, just any woman, but specifically in the Marine Corps, like, I am like, come here, jump in my pocket. Or when I see, like, higher ups, I'm like can i help you is there anything you need like i want to learn and i want to bring like sisters together right um because there are struggles but a, lo- a lot of things i was hearing is like oh you guys are up to something because you're all together oh female marines don't get to get along oh female marines this so from your experience at Jules in a fort battalion w- would you say that was the case or would you say like you literally
0: saw sisterhood continue it the sisterhood is, is strong i would love to see it get stronger
1: so last question yeah. you have a daughter you know where I'm going here. <laughs>
0: yeah, you're going to do that, huh? Your
1: daughter came up to you. and Please be honest, Kevin, because yeah. um, if your daughter came up to you, right? And obviously, you, you I could say, you know, just kind of knowing you the past couple years and just talking about, you know, who you were and how you raised and stuff that happened in the Marine Corps, I could tell, like, your perspective has changed yeah. um, on a lot of things, right? And then Equal Opportunity Advisor just kind of, like, psh, blows your mind. But you have a daughter. Yeah. You said she's 14 right now? 14? She is, um, you know, closer to graduating high school than not. And if she came up to you and said she wanted to join the Marine Corps as an enlisted Marine. And the only reason I put that out there is because a lot of times when I ask people this, they caveat with I want to be whatever the case is. You're an enlisted Marine. Your daughter came up to you and said, I want to go to boot camp. I want to be a Marine. What would your reaction and advice be to her?
0: I think my, 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 I wouldn't have a decision for her. Like kind of like what my father did with me. Um, okay. It it would be one of those situations where it's like, you know, okay, if that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do. Um, I would think I would definitely prepare her. Right. Because um, I, I think that she's not going to get the baseline or it, it could look a lot different than my experience. So I wouldn't tell her based off of what I would would know, but it wouldn't be my decision to join the Marine Corps. So I would know, I would have to know that it's her decision to join the Marine Corps. She's not coming to me saying like, hey, uh, do you think I should join? And she's telling me she's gonna join. And I just want to make sure she's pre- prepared. Um, okay. I will say that, you're, I think the more of the question what you're asking me is, I have reservations? My hope is that by the time that she joins the Marine Corps, my reservations aren't where they're at right now. I hope mm-hmm. we can progress from there. And I would definitely, if she did um, consider joining the Marine Corps, I would reach out to my sisters, uh, because you're part of my network as well. I would reach out to the Zarina Flemings, the Alex Vanscoids, the I would reach out to the Melissa Stills, the Tasia Campbells, um, the, uh, uh, Lynette Maldonados, the, I I would reach out to a lot of different people to say, Hey, can you school my, my daughter up on the experience Cassandra blades, the, uh, uh, Jennifer McNeil's like a lot of these women have like I've had seen them operate in this organization and they do it flawlessly. Mm-hmm. Like of course I'm pretty sure they've had their their uh, ups and downs, but like I see them as my peers. I'm like yo, you know, no matter where we stand at in life, like I can respect your hustle. Because this does come down to being a hustle, so like I think the, the the short answer is that yes, I would I would definitely back her in her decision of joining the Marine Corps, but I would definitely hook her up with the goats like yourself. Awesome.
1: <laughs> one day, my goat is Robin Fortner. She that lady. She's look, That lady. She's I'm gonna amazing. have to invite her on one day. I'm so wow. I'm so like nervous to even ask her because I'm like okay, like I don't know, but she's. She's, like, the person who, you know, I, like, try to emulate instruct, and strive to be. He's, but, awesome. Um, He's
0: awesome.
1: All right. I think that, that's it, Kevin. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. I appreciate your friendship. As you know, um, we don't always agree on certain things. But yeah. that's that's one thing I can really appreciate about you is you will give your perspective. We could talk it out. And at the end of the day, like, we could still be civil. Um, sure. Yeah. So thank you for taking time to talk to yeah. me. Um, and yeah. I hope you have a great night.
0: I appreciate you so much, Serena. And I want to say this on camera. I love you. I I I miss you. I miss your friend. I miss you, sister. And I tell Jack. I
1: hard said. out here, I know.
0: Yeah, <laughs> tell Jack. I said, what's up.